the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's simple truth moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning, San Diego Saints. Welcome back. We are underway with a study regarding uh, my last book, that recently was published is called Homecoming, How the Mystery of the New Covenant Brings Both Jew and Gentile Back to Abba Father. And uh, last week, um, just as a brief review, we talked about the whole purpose uh, for which Jesus, Yeshua, as he's called uh, in his Hebrew name, which by the way means salvation or he saves, that's Yeshua, what it means in uh, Hebrew, Um, he pretty much clearly dis, uh, distinguished why he came. There, were, there was more than one reason, but one of the reasons, one of the big reasons, probably the primary reason, was what we see in John fourteen six, where he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. We think heaven as Gentiles, but that's not what he said. He said, no one comes to the Father through me. And we also discussed that uh, in, in earlier shows, that eternal life is not dying and going to a place, but it's it's not about relocation. Uh, it's not relocational. It's relational, in, meaning that uh, we lost our f- relationship with our father in Genesis chapter three, when our original parents agreed with Satan uh, about suggestions he was making regarding the nature and character of Father God. And when they uh, agreed with him, they disobeyed God, and we have been suffering the consequences ever since. And the last week as we left off, we talked about what Jesus was saying in John chapter 8 when he engaged in a long discussion with the Pharisees about fathers, Uh, Abraham being a father, Father God being a father, and there's another father mentioned in that long discussion in John chapter 8 between Jesus and the Pharisees. Uh, that other father was who was mentioned was uh, Satan himself. And Jesus basically just came out and said it to the Pharisees. He said to them directly, he said, You are of your father, Satan who is the father of lies. That's really critical because um, one of the characteristics of the way Jesus describes himself, he says, I am the way, I am the truth. That's the second one he mentioned about how he identified as son of, uh, the son of God, the son of the father. He says, I am truth. And he says in John chapter 4, verse 24, he says, we are to worship the father, notice, in spirit and in truth. So it was pretty clearly distinguished that there are multiple fathers here that were engaging um, in conflict, in warfare. And the tactic of the enemy is that he uses um, deception, trickery, falsehood, prevarication, which is a $25 word for just lying, uh, he lie, he uses lies as uh, not only a strategy, but tactics as well. 
in trying to pull people away from what is the actual um, goal of the Judeo-Christian walk. Um, if he can get us distracted, if he can get us looking at a different uh, goal than what is pointed out in Scripture very clearly. Anyway, I'm not going to go into all that. That's in earlier shows, but let's just leave it at this, that uh, our Western Greek linear thinking as Gentiles leads us on onto <laughs> the wrong goal, the wrong target, the wrong way of getting the goal, the wrong path, the wrong road, and uh, only as we come back to understand Father God's original plan, including uh, the Hebrew covenants that he made with another father of ours, who is Abraham. And you might say, gee, are we Gentiles, the fa- uh, son of Abraham? Well, that's what the scripture says. Uh, take a look at Ephesians 2 and 3, and especially at Galatians 2 and 3, talks about uh, who is another father that we have. Uh, once we come to be born again, uh, the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, this may shock some Gentile listeners, it says, um, when we have that experience of being born again, we become members corporately now, talking about a group setting, we become members of the commonwealth of Israel. People scratch their heads and they go, what? It's right there in the New Testament, written by Paul the Apostle in Ephesians chapter 2. Check it out. There's one thing he also said. He didn't stop there. He said, you also, you were alienated before you came to know Christ. In other words, you meant alien being you were far away. There was a distance, a a, um, a separation between yourself and the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But once that separation has been eliminated, he says two things. You become a member of the commonwealth of Israel and a member of the household of God. So first we're talking a large corporate um, nation sort of entity, and then we're shrinking it down to, oh, by the way, you're also a member of God's family. And then he talks about what that entails. I'm not going to go off on that, but read Ephesians 2 and 3 and then go over and read Galatians 2 and 3 as well, and you'll see what we're talking about, about uh, our relationships. Um, All depends on separating the separation, removing the separation between us and God. Okay, so let's get into what I wanted to get into today. Um, So, we talked about last week that Jesus identified in discussing with the Pharisees, debating with the Pharisees in John 8, chapter 8, that um, they claimed to say, well, we know who our father is when he was saying Abraham is our father. And he basically pointed out to them, look, let me tell you who your real father is. Your real father is Satan, the father of lies. And... So what I wanted to get into today was why our culture's attack or bad rap, if you will, against Father God. Um, It's interesting because I remember when I was um, both growing up as a Catholic kid in parochial schools uh, and then also after I became a Protestant, uh, at the end of my law school career, uh, I pretty much heard the same thing. It didn't matter whether I was in the Catholic camp or the Protestant camp. It was uh, The story was all about the Son, coming to the Son, S-O-N, Jesus. And the Father wasn't mentioned a whole lot. In fact, he was mentioned hardly at all. Now, yes, you, you were taught the Lord's Prayer. Yes, you were taught, it's a Catholic's call, the Our Father. But the focus was... On the Son, and I'm, I was wondering, why is there so much time spent on Jesus pretty much exclusively, and we don't talk about Father God much? Which was interesting, because if you look at John chapter 14, 
um, it says, I repeat it again, I am the way. This is Jesus uh, telling his apostles the night before he died. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the, the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. So in, in, in essence, he's identifying that the whole goal of the Judeo-Christian journey experience, if you will, is to first come to a relationship with Jesus in order that, in order that you can come to someone else besides Jesus. And that someone else is the Father. In fact, what Jesus is saying is that it's pretty much all about the Father, not to exclude Jesus and not to exclude the Holy Spirit. Of course, they are part of the Godhead. We believe in the Trinity. But we don't talk about that first part of the Trinity. Why? Why is that? I want to explore that a little bit today. All right, so um, one of the things that I noticed uh, growing up as a Catholic kid was we had a Catholic catechism, and that Catholic catechism uh, taught the Ten Commandments. It was one of the things we learned. And um, the numbering of the commandments in the Catholic catechism, I noticed, is different than the numbering of, for example, of the, uh, the way the Jews talk about it. And I have a complete Jewish study Bible by the author Dave, uh, David Stearns. And I just want to read to you um, the first commandment, which I found to be quite interesting as the way it was phrased. This is in uh, Exodus chapter 20. Now, this is in the complete Jewish study Bible by David Stearns. Okay, you ready? Then God said all these words, I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the abode of slavery. All right. Um, And then it goes on to say, you shall have no other gods before me, uh, talking about making carved images, etc., and if you contrast that with what is seen in, for example, the New King James um, Version, it says, And God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, whether you use the house of slavery in the complete Jewish Bible or the house of bondage, um, that pretty much is a close approximation of the state of God's children at that time in history. Um, they, they being the Hebrews, children of God, had spent about 430 years in living in a pagan, demonic culture of Egypt under the Pharaoh. And a lot of times when you're studying um, symbolism of um, Old Testament scripture um, it, as it connects to the New Testament scripture, Pharaoh oftentimes is, is used as a portrait, if you will, or a symbol of Satan himself. In other words, the state of the Hebrew children of God in that environment was equated to one of bondage, or depending on which Bible you look at, or is, was equated with a state of slavery, okay? And um, things weren't good. Things were going from bad to worse uh, for the Hebrews. And um, as you recall, there was a point where uh, Pharaoh even decided that as the Hebrew slaves are making the bricks for the, his monuments, etc., and, and his construction projects, uh, he took away the straw that they were using to keep the bricks together, but they were supposed to still uh, be able to complete the same project. Um, there was a lot of abuse. There was a, he was a, a terrible taskmaster, cruel, heartless. And, and so, of course, when we are coming up on to the uh, Jewish holiday of Passover, 
um, and with the Seder dinners, etc., the focus is on how the Jews were rescued from that state of slavery, how the Hebrew children were brought out of the bondage of Pharaoh's slavery, of that pagan demonic structure. And it's if you haven't attended a local Seder, I would recommend you do so because um, I attend a Messianic Jewish congregation here in town and um, our been there probably seven years now. Uh, the Messianic rabbi um, under whom I study is is wonderful at explaining the the seder uh, experience and the symbolism of what is really going on. Um, the fact that the Hebrew children, in obeying the instructions of Moses that he received from Father God directly on how to rescue the Hebrew children of God from the angel of death, which was, we have to remember this, Father God sent that angel, and it was to execute judgment on an evil society which would not allow his children to uh, be released and returned back to him. That's, you see any... Any uh, symbolism here on how we are when we are slaves to sin before we come to Christ um, and who runs our life, who influences our life as we are alienated from the presence of God and we are removed. And in essence, I think it's uh, Romans 6, um, something that we use at baptisms quite a bit. It talks about this experience um, let me see here. Uh, Romans 6, verse uh, 5, talking about the fact that we were buried at, into water baptism uh, into the death of Christ, just as he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Uh, even so, we should also walk in newness of life. But here's where I'm going with this. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, his being uh, Yeshua, Jesus, Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. All right Now here's the key, last part of verse 6. Listen, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. In other words, being in bondage to sin. In other words, I think... Oftentimes we use the word salvation uh, to explain the initial experience of coming to a relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. But um, it's, I want you to, in your homework, so to speak, read Luke chapter 1 when Zacharias is prophesying after the curse came off his tongue. And you'll notice that a lot of times he's not saying salvation. He's talking about another experience. And when we come into a relationship with God, and that is deliverance. And deliverance is akin to what the Hebrew children of God on that night of Passover experienced. They were delivered from the judgment of death that was going to befall every firstborn of the Egyptian families, including their their animals. And that was the tenth. Uh, plague, the final one, because Pharaoh would not respond to God uh, requesting, commanding that he let his people go. And this was the final climax, the final apex of, of that process. And But it's interesting when we oftentimes think of the word salvation, um, we as Gentiles think of transportation from point A to point B. Here was deliverance from a condemnation of judgment, of death. And this is serious. This is very serious because basically it's saying, look, the body of sin might be done away with, in verse 6 of Romans, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. The body of sin might be done away with. That body of sin brings us to death which is separation from God. It interferes with us having an intimate, close, deep, profound, 
dependent relationship with God. That's what saint sin does. And then look, go down to uh, verse 12 of Romans 6. Again, here we see the same language of, that could be contrasted with what was going on with the Hebrews in, in Egypt. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Notice what it says. Do not let sin reign. What does reign mean? R-E-I-G-N, in your mortal body. Do not let sin control you, command you. In other words, lord it over you. And so, symbolically, the message is, Father God sends a perfect lamb without blemish that the Jews had to slaughter that night and take the blood of that unblemished lamb and put it on the, uh, the dentals on the outside um, of their home, the doorposts, if you will, so that the angel of death could see that perfect blood sacrifice of that unblemished lamb and pass over so that judgment would not strike the Hebrew home, killing the firstborn. So we are being freed from sin which is slavery or bondage. Now, let me go back to this, uh, how the first of Ten Commandments is phrased. And what we're getting back to is why does God, Father God get a bad rap from our culture? Why does Satan, um, as the father of lies, always want to give a bad character rap to Father God? Now, I'm going to read it again out of the Jewish Bible. Um, I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the abode of slavery. New King James says, out of the abode of bondage. Father God is performing what function in this drama? He is showing up, manifesting his will that his people, his children, be let go to get away from the alienation of living in a foreign culture, a corrupt culture, a pagan culture, a demonic culture, under this cruel taskmaster of Pharaoh, and again, a symbol or a prototype of Satan, how Satan has sin control us. And he's basically rescuing his children. Uh, do you remember last week when we talked about, actually two weeks ago, when we talked about what do fathers give us? And the three functions of the fathers, which we receive as children, are laid out clearly in the Lord's Prayer. And one of those three functions was to protect his children and we went all through the Lord's Prayer. Again, go through the earlier podcasts that you can get on KPRZ or my website, uh, simpletruthministries.net. Go to the media page. All of their old radio shows are there. Be, be worth your time to check it out. But in this instance, taking one of those three things that Father does for his children is that he delivers us from the evil one. That's right at the end of the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Well, what happened here? What happened here with the Hebrews in the land of Egypt? What happened here was they needed rescuing because they lived in slavery. And again, I take you over to Romans 6. Compare what was going on with the Hebrews under the tyranny of Satan. But as children of God, they lived in bondage, in slavery, for 430 years. It's a long time. They originally, the Hebrews, the Hebrews just went down to Egypt because there was a famine in Canaan, and, and uh, they came down when uh, Joseph was uh, the assistant to uh, the number two man uh, working with another pharaoh who was not <clears throat> anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish. And um, so they were welcomed to come down and avoid the famine in Canaan. But as they, they stayed in Egypt, 
obviously leadership changed, another, another, other pharaohs came, and they were not the same sort of individuals who had invited them to come and, st- and remain. Um, as Joseph being their intermediary on their, on their behalf. So, where are we going with this? Father God loves his children. And one of his main functions that we see in the Lord's Prayer as our Father, which was the goal of, for which Jesus came to earth, no one gets to the Father but through me, he said in John fourteen six. We need to get the same um, attention, the same uh, focus, the same um, goal as Jesus himself, which was pretty much, and I don't say this negatively, an obsession with the Father, with his Father. Remember, he, he said many times, All the works that I do, these are works of the Father. All the words I say, you're hearing the Father. It was all about the Father. When we come back from the break, we will pick it up from there and develop this theme some more. Why does Satan hate God so much? Why does he get Father God? Why does he get a bad rap? See you after the break. Welcome back, saints. We are um, continuing our study of the book that I authored uh, recently, Homecoming, How the Mystery of the New Covenant Brings Both Jew and Gentile Back to Abba Father. Um, What we were covering here is when I was a young religious person, I'll put it that way, a parochial school kid, and then even when I, um, in later life, um, shifted gears over into the Protestant realm from the Catholic realm, I noticed that there was a lot of talk about Jesus um, as our Savior, as our Deliverer. And then if you went into Pentecostalism, you understood the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so that was another dimension there. But, but even in spite of that, um, there was never a whole lot of talk about Father God. And um, the, the impression that I was left with was that when there was a rejection um, by the Gentile church in, in general as to the importance of what I call the Jewish Testament or the First Testament, uh, as opposed to the Old Testament. The word old just sounds like it's irrelevant, it's past, nothing applies. Um, nothing that hoped in the Old Testament was ever fulfilled in the New, which is absolutely the opposite. Uh, we really do have to remember um, when Jesus is uh, teaching and doing the Sermon of the Mount, he says in Matthew five seventeen, he said, um, don't think... Do not think that I came to do away with the law and the prophets. Well, that law and the prophets, that's talking about the Jewish Testament. He said, I didn't come to do away with any of that. But rather, I came, listen, to fulfill it. Man, do we have to take a second look at our at our theology, especially if it's Greek and linear and uh, Gentile. And once we disconnect from our Hebrew roots, um, you know, if we're supposed to be, that we're in trouble is what I'm trying to say. If we're grafted on, um, if we're branches that are grafted on to the true vine, okay, as it talks about in um, uh, Romans chapter, well, it's Romans chapter 9, um, and we have to really take a look at Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. The concept is we as Gentiles are brought in as wild branches to be grafted in to the, to the root of Israel. Now, that makes shock a lot of people because they think, well, what are you talking about, Israel, you know, the country, Zionism? No, we're not talking about that. Um, Israel is referred to uh, basically as is, is, um, is Yeshua, is Jesus. And when we're grafted on to that olive tree, okay, there's a purpose for that. The agronomist over in Israel will tell you, you know the purpose, you know the reason that wild um, branches 
that aren't part of the original tr- tree are grafted into the um, the original root system, it's to do one thing. It's to expand the fruitfulness of the tree. It's to expand the bounty of the tree. And this is why um, this, when I'm talking about the theme of homecoming, that Jew and Gentile are coming back. I don't care whether you read Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, whether you read Galatians um, 2 and 3, or whether you read Romans not chapter 9 and 10 and 11. It talks about this theme of Jew and Gentile coming back. But what unites us is the question. Well, Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2, 15, he does knock down the wall of separation based on um, um, ordinance, ordinances, etc. He, he knocks that down. And what I mean by that is rituals. I'm not talking about the eternal law of God. I'm not talking about that at all. The, mor- the, the moral part of the law never changes. What Paul is talking about is rituals, observances, that are done that were added as part of man-made um, additions. I mean, Jesus called it out all the time with the Pharisees. He said, "Look, you are putting all kinds of additional requirements on the people, and you're you're overloading them." That's why Jesus had such um, angst against the Pharisees and what they were doing. They were taking something that was very simple, and Jesus summarized it so well one time when he, when he was approached by this um, young uh, man who said, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And what did Jesus say? He didn't say, say Romans 10, 9, and 10 and uh, check a box or a formula. He says, keep the commandments. And <laughs> keeping the commandments brings us into the presence of God. And then, of course, the young man, uh, Jesus names, I think, I think there were like four commandments that Jesus named, and, and the young man said, oh, I do, I've done all of those. Yep, check the box, done it, boom, 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 one, two, three, four. And then Jesus um, really didn't come to restrict the eternal moral law of God that's shared through these Ten Commandments, summarized by him, by the way, keeping it simple. He said, love God. And love others. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. Simple truth. Love God and love others. So Jesus with this young man went one step further. He was like the old series of Columbo, uh, the uh, New York detective who always would solve the mystery at the end of the show. And um, he'd always stop and say, oh, I have one more question. And of course, that last question was going to break open the, the mystery of the whodunit um, with that particular uh, detective show. Jesus had a one more question, or actually one more thing that he was going to mention to this young man. He said, there is one more thing. I think it was this is the rich young ruler. Um, sell all your stuff, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now, that young, rich young ruler was able to check the, the, um, the boxes of religious works, saying, yeah, I've done this, boom, 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 boom. Jesus knew his heart. And basically, his message was, I didn't come to uh, restrict the impact of the law and prophets. I came to fulfill it. And when Jesus called this young, rich young ruler out with that last requirement. Jesus really came to expand the law and the prophets by fulfilling it. I'm going to say that again. Everyone says, what are you talking about? Well, think about it. Love God and love others. And it says, well, what, everyone says, well, yeah, I love God. I know God. And I get along with most people. Um, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your um, soul, all your all your strength. So was that an expansion of the original law, which said keep one day a week holy? 
which was the Sabbath, which was Shabbat. And Jesus is saying, every day is a walking with God by loving him with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So it's much more expanded. And we always reduce the demands in the, in the New Testament as shrinking them down. But in reality, when Jesus shows up and says, um, you want to know what a relationship looks like with Father God? Because I'm defining what the goal is that he says in John fourteen six, It's Father. It's not dying and going to a place. It's getting to know your Father. And why is that so critical? Because... He said, he said in John 10, 10, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, well, we all think, oh, yeah, life is dying and going to a place called heaven. That's what we were taught, whether you were a Catholic or whether you were a Protestant. doesn't matter, okay? But that's not what the Scripture says. Jesus, same night, talking to the apostles, the night before he dies, John 17, 3, he, he actually is going to define what eternal life is what it looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like, and how it's experienced. And he says this, and this is eternal life. That four-word introduction is about as clear as you can get. He did not say so you can get a silver driveway going into a golden mansion in heaven. He didn't say that. What he said was that this is eternal life, that they may know you the one true God. He's talking to the Father, but the apostles are listening at the same time. The Holy Spirit is present in that room, and Jesus is describing the real goal. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. That doesn't mean know about in your brain, your Greek brain that holds reason of man as the highest possible apex of experience? No. He's talking about the other part of the body. Not your mind, it's your heart. Do you trust God? It's really interesting as I read the, um, the Complete Jewish Study Bible by David Stearns. Just about every time the word faith shows up, he substitutes the word faith in God with trust in God. Because faith oftentimes for we Gentiles just means, you know, you go through some religious things. Yeah, I believe this and I believe that. And you're checking the box on doctrine or checking the box on dogma requirements. These four things here and, you know, two things over here. And you're saying, yeah, I'm good with God. But David Stearns in the Complete Jewish Bible says, um, every time the word shows up of faith, he says, Trusting faithfulness. Wow. Trusting faithfulness. So that talks about elements of a relationship which says you depend on God. And since you depend on God for what? For your identity, your provision, and your protection. We saw that from all three things from the Father. Okay? As you depend on him, you trust in him. But listen listen how David Stern put it. He says, trusting faithfulness. In other words, you yourself reflect that you can be counted on because you're dependable for what God has told you he wants from us. Remember, go back to the Lord's Prayer. What's it all about? Jesus taught us only one prayer. And it says, our Father, that's what he starts with, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. That's bring your government, Father. And Isaiah 9 tells us that when Jesus shows up as the Messiah, this is uh, Isaiah prophesying about the soon coming Messiah, he says he will bring the government on his shoulders, the kingdom, the domain of the king. That is the key question that we as believers have to ask ourselves and hopefully tell others. 
if you're talking about the kingdom of God, then you have to say it's the king's domain, the king's realm, the king's government. That's what's being brought to bear. And it makes sense. The other uh, verse in the Bible that says another purpose for which Jesus came, 1 John 3, 8, I believe it says, for this purpose, um, the Son of God was manifested to do away, listen, with the works of the devil. Well, the works of the devil are what? The slavery to sin that we talked about with the Hebrews today. You're in bondage. The works of the devil is rebellion against the will of Father God. Jesus was all about finding out what the Father's will, and it was in a particular situation with a particular circumstance, with a particular person in a particular moment all the time, nonstop. And we're supposed to emulate the example of Jesus, of Yeshua. Well, I would say, and we said it earlier in this broadcast, Jesus was pretty much obsessed about pleasing the Father. Well, guess what? He's saying, we, gotta, we have to do the same thing. Why? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. We lost our father in the fall of Genesis chapter 3 with the rebellion of the second heavens with Satan. It start. listen to this, the rebellion began in heaven. It didn't start down here with us. Take a look at Isaiah uh, chapter 14, beginning at verse 12, or take a look at Ezekiel 28, beginning at, um, at verse uh, 14. That rebellion was a spiritual rebellion by fallen angels who were probably not happy about the fact that in Genesis 1 and 2, Father God, Creator Father God, put man in charge over the material creation, the earth. He put us in charge. And Satan was probably upset. (laughs) He couldn't understand it. You can see that discussion going on in the early chapters of Job could not figure out why God is bragging about this human being called Job. He's always trying, Satan is always trying to make it clear his opinion that God, Father God, made a mistake by putting man in charge of this material creation. He was resentful and... Take a look at the second temptation of Christ in Luke chapter 4. Satan brings, Satan, I'm sorry, Satan brings Jesus, Yeshua, up to the mountain, and he shows him, not heaven, but he shows him the earth, the world, and all of its nations. They understand what the prize is. We don't. So getting back to Satan's tactics on why is he against Father God so much. I, I think my theory is he just thought the initial plan of creation seen in Genesis 1 and 2 was a big mistake, especially when Father God put mankind in charge of everything material. Think about it. You're in charge to have dominion, to steward, to, to uh, control, to have dominion over and he names the, all the beasts of the field, all the fish, all the birds. I mean, everything. And Satan thought, as I conjecture, that that was a dumb idea. They were dust balls. They were created as a handful of dust. That's what Adam it means. It means the color red because Adam was made out of the red earth. Father God breathed into that and created a human being. So, Satan is out to basically give Father God a bad rap. And that deals with this. The impression that I was left with was Jesus was the nice form of God. 
Jesus was the compassionate form of God. Jesus was the merciful form of God. Jesus was the, the form of God that we would want to have a relationship. And the Father was abrupt. Um, he was punishing. He was um, overbearing. He was, I mean, the, the, the lack of attention to the Father's real qualities in this drama of the Hebrews being rescued from Pharaoh's system of slavery. And the reason that the children of God had to be brought into the desert, and it says very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 8, you don't know me. That's what the father was telling his children. You have been gone hundreds of years away from me, living in this foreign, demonic, evil, pagan culture. And we've got to get to know each other. Life is knowing me, not going to a place. Yes, they were going to Canaan. That was their inheritance as members of the family. But in order to be members of the family, you've got to get to know relationally who your father is. And that was the whole point of the desert journey. He says it in Deuteronomy 8. He said, I had to go and test you to see and know what was in your heart, to see if you were really motivated to have a relationship with me voluntarily. Uh, Basically, the father said, I don't want to take away your free will. I don't want a relationship with robots. I want a relationship with human children who will come into the destiny and the plan that I had for them. So I'm going to read out of Deuteronomy 8 real quick. And see, commandments have gotten a bad rap. It's always like, well, God's always trying to rain on my parade, but with all of his rules and his commandments, he just doesn't want me to have a good time. But listen to Deuteronomy 8. Every commandment which I command you, this is Father God talking to Israel, every commandment that I command you today, you must be careful to observe. Why? Why must you be careful to observe? That's another word for obey. Here, his motivation for giving these commandments. You ready? It's a comma there. We're still in Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. That you may live and multiply. Okay? That's Father God's motivations for giving commandments. He wants his children to live, but not as slaves under um, the tyranny of Pharaoh. He's saying that you may live and multiply. And, and listen, here's, look at the inheritance here. And go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Now check out verse 2, Deuteronomy 8. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, here it is, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, check out the the, uh, other aspects that fathers give us. So, he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you. Okay, what did we say about another thing that fathers do? He gives us provision, not just protection, but also provision in the Lord's Prayer. And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. By the way, this is the verse that Satan used against um, the first temptation um, in the desert by, um, by Satan. But rather, man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Check out 8.4, Deuteronomy 8.4. Your garments did not wear out on you. How's that for provision? Nor did your foot swell these 40 years. How's that for provision, medical provision? So, verse 5, you should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. And verse 6, therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. Listen to this. Look, Look at the cause and effect here. 
a land of brooks of water, of fountains of sp- and springs that flow out of the valleys of, of the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of hills you can dig copper. And when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God. This is Adonai now. This is Father God. For the good land which he has given you. Verse 11, beware that you do not forget your Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command you today. So he's in essence saying, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the land of bondage. That's actually in verse number 14 of Deuteronomy 8. So Father God is a God, as we've listed here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, who provides for us by all those things that we mentioned. He wants to give us our inheritance as his children, and he protects us from the pharaohs, the evil one, if you will. All right? And he gives us our identity. This is a bad rap that Satan has given to Father God, that he's the God of anger, he's the God of judgment. No, he's a God who rescued us from the death of Egypt, being separated from him. Wow. Satan is always trying to separate us from God. So, until next week we'll pick it up from here may you have many simple truth moments trust God and ask him what Father God wants all the time see you next time thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's simple truth moments for more information and resources visit simpletruthministries.net that's simpletruthministries.net to contact Simple Truth Moments email me at Truth at gmail.com that's earl simple truth at gmail.com so until next time may god richly reveal his simple truth moments to you you've been listening to simple truth moments join reverend earl clampett for another episode next sunday at 11 a.m right here on k praise Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.